Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, investors and traders. Welcome back to Pre-Market Prep. Yes, Money Mitch is back and ready to get right back into the markets. Let's talk about today's topic. Of course, we'll talk about oil futures coming down, sterling plunging down here. It seems like parity might be incoming. The euro hitting the lowest since the dollar 2002. We'll talk also about the central bank. What happened after the tech bubble burst? We'll talk a little bit about Dennis Dick's experience with the tech bubble. Amazon news today, Las Vegas Sands, some downgrades and upgrades. And our special guest, we will be putting out an exclusive interview previously recorded from Qualcomm's Automotive Investors Day. It's going to be an interview with CEO Cristiano Armand, the CEO and president of Qualcomm. Stay tuned for that. We got a great show for you guys today. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep, and it's time to rise and shine. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, traders, it's going to be a little different. You know, last week you had a lot of Joel. This week you'll get a lot of myself and Dennis Dick. Let's go bring it on. Welcome I'm to back. it. Yep. I'm Joel back. will be out for a day. He'll be back tomorrow, so stay tuned for Joel later in this week. But Dennis is back. How are you hanging in there, my man? I'm hanging in. This is one of the roughest viruses I've probably ever had. So I'm at day seven here right now. I'm definitely not 100%, but I'm better than I was. I took two days off of work last week, not trading, not obviously doing the show. I never do that. If I'm taking a day off of trading, I'm sick. It's lying around a lot. Had I, I've got a heart condition I've had for a long time. So that kind of, I think it's like COVID attacks your weak points. So I had a lot of chest pains with this COVID. So wasn't wasn't a lot of fun. I seem to be coming through it pretty well now. Um, I'm a little congested, but my breathing has been good through the whole thing. Just, uh, you know, the only concern for me was with my heart condition. Uh, the couple of days where I'm kind of getting chest tightness, not fun. I'm, I'm kind of getting through that too. So I think I'm, I think I'm on the rebound. My wife got sick yesterday, unfortunately. So probably, I mean, we haven't gone anywhere. So pretty sure it's COVID. Uh, brother-in-law now has COVID. Uh, just basically it's all over the place. You know, it's the hard thing. You know, we knew when the kids went back to school, they're going to be bringing back stuff in. And I don't know if that's where it came from originally or where it came from, but there's just no place to hide. COVID is everywhere. You're going to get it. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, sucks to hear it. I, I definitely heard it while I was away. And uh, looks like, I mean, at least you're you're back in the chair, ready to at least get into some yeah, we're trying. And battle through it. That's one we're thing trying. that we got to do sometimes. So let's go ahead. Let's take a look at the action that happened. And I mean, you can maybe for uh, fill me in a little bit more than I can take a look. Dennis, what happened when I left? We were over here. We were at 382. What happened? Now we're down back towards 365? Mitch, it was me and you not here. So this is what happens is me and Mitch, Money Mitch, don't trade for two days. And all of a sudden, there's no liquidity in the market. That's it. There's That's no what it was. Up the market. Well, yeah. it looks like we're down there and we're hanging out right where we were on Friday. I mean, if you kind of look at it, you know, we closed up there at 367.95. We're right now at 365.30s. And everyone's just going to be looking, will we get through the 362.17 today? And I mean, it's almost like, how do we not? How do we not get through it, you know? Well, I think we're eventually going to go through it. Um, I think it's just a matter of time here. It's hard to come in here. And, and, you know, we've been saying this for a long time. I haven't understood the bull thesis. I haven't understood the Craig Johnsons to get back to all-time highs. I just can't fathom it. And that's, you know, why I've had excess of cash in the long-term portfolio. But, you know, I have been nibbling. I've nibbled on a few things. We've come down a lot. So, you know, you're talking about a NASDAQ market's 30% off the highs. So, you know, I have an I'm still 42% cash, though. So, you know, when you're sitting still 42%, that's like I'm saying in my registered account. So outside, you know, I've... I hardly have any stocks now. I'm just, you know, basically just been holding on to, you know, some of my core winners from years and years ago, but not really jumping in and buying this and buying that and, you know, looking to make money here. Just looking, you know, that, hey, it's hard for the stock market to compete with 4.3% in a two-year. It's hard for the stock market yeah. to fight this lack of a TINA trade, meaning, you know, there was always, there is no alternative. You got to buy stocks that can't make money anywhere else. It's not true anymore. <clears throat> it's changed. Powell has changed the landscape here. And there's repercussions for that. And what yeah. you're seeing is, you know, this sustained sell-off. Every time we get a little bit of a rally, it's met with more sellers. Market is not cheap. You know, trading 17 times or 18 times earnings is, you know, relatively kind of towards the high end still. And you've got a, a, a you know, a global recession likely coming. You have interest rates still high, so it's hard to get full-on bullish. But again, with that being said, I'm not going to go 100% cash either because something could turn. Maybe we get some inflation data that's turned. But exactly. until the Fed, until the Fed gives us an indication that they're going to pivot, Mitch, until the Fed gives us an indication that they're going to pivot, it's hard to get in here and get bullish stocks. That is for certain, and uh, I, I wanted to kind of have a little bit of fun this morning. And uh, if you guys don't know the ultimate pivot clip here, uh, this is exactly uh -oh. the way that I feel like the Fed is trying to navigate through the inflation that we're fighting. And this is a scene from Friends. If you never caught this scene, this was one of the best. You know, just just follow my lead. Okay. Come on, Charlie. All right. Okay. This is a uh, pal leading the way right there right. up the up the up the stairs Everybody's or up the market. This is us carrying turn. the market right there. I don't think we can turn anymore. I just don't think it's gonna fit. Oh yeah, well come on up. It's transitory. It'll fit. It'll fit. It's transitory. Just push it. Here we go. Pivot. 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 
Pivot! 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 We're almost there. We're almost there. Benchmark. Benchmark. This is what. This is what has to happen for us to start getting into another bull market. It anymore? No. You think? Anyways, this is exactly so. Remember this scene. This is a great scene. A visual can remind. There's no reason to get. I'm going to say right now. You know, it's a funny scene, but then we can take something from this. There is absolutely no reason to go full on rah rah bullish until we start getting a signal that that's going to happen. And the signal for that is going to be some inflation data that's light, like significantly yeah. light. There's I'll been no. Powell said nothing about a pivot. The market keeps speculating. Oh, he's going to raise. We're going to see some inflation start to tick down, and then they're going to pivot. They have it, and they're sticking to it. And if you're not going to pivot, you're fighting the Fed all the way here, and you're getting punished for it. And that's why a lot of people are losing a lot of money because they continue to fight the Fed here. So I I want to at least point to some upside outlook, at least if we can have some kind of upside, right? Is if we take a look, you know, at like, you know, the oil stocks and they're heading down, you know, um, and if you looked at the, you know, Western Texas uh, intimate, uh, in, intermediate futures, you could see that they fell below that $80 a barrel mark now down to 77.30. And I'm continuing to watch this, but it looks like oil continues to fall on recession fears. So yeah. at least if there's something to point towards the upside, maybe this can help us get out of the inflation that we're looking at. Right. I mean, this would be dumb kind of accomplishing something, right? If we looked at what kept CPI higher, it wasn't necessarily oil, but it was energy services. And of course, as oil comes down, we should see at least a turn in inflation. Let's see if this continues and hopefully in the long run helps us turn around the inflation battle. Commodity deflation is helping for sure. And is the next CPI data point, which is a long ways away, is the next CPI data point going to start to tick down? I think so, but I thought the last one was going to start to tick down. It didn't tick yeah. down nearly enough. So, you know, not enough for the Fed to pivot. What happens in the natural gas game? Because, I mean, uh, you know, there was signs of concern when we were getting on up there with Nord Stream shutdown one. But if you've looked at it, the price has actually come down since that situation. It's the global recession. And commodities are not recession-proof. Commodities are definitely not recession-proof. Commodities get hit during a recession. Mm -hmm. We are going into a global recession here. There is going to be, this time next year, there's going to be a hell of a lot less going on. Inflation will get in check, but corporate profits are going to drop substantially. And that's going to be the next ball to drop. So we're going to go into an earnings season here when we can talk about this. It's starting in two weeks. This next earnings season is going to be ugly. There's going to be companies lowering guidance. There's no like silver lining here other than maybe expectations come down enough that we get you know people to say, okay, well, it's not that bad. Maybe, but do you want to bank on that? Do you really want to bank on that? We've already seen multiple companies warn here, and I think there's going to be some big guns that warn. It wouldn't surprise me if you see one of the big four warn. So you get that happening. And problems. I mean, FedEx is a good indicator for the overall market. If you're coming there buying the dip on FedEx right off the bat, you're being punished for it. it goes down 20%. How can you, you know, how can you go wrong? You go very wrong. $161 that day. It's now 148. Continues to leak. Is there value here? Sure. Are we concerned about value right now? No. This market is concerned about raising cash on any rallies. 
So I think on all stocks, not just, you know, equities, but commodities on everything, I'd be a seller of rallies. You've got to continue to raise cash on rallies. Now, not selling in the hole, come down a long ways here. You could have a bounce. It's going to be a wicked bounce in here somewhere. It's never easy on the shorts, but it's hard to come in here, rah, rah, bullish and say, yeah, this is it. I mean, but, you know, we, we are oversold. So I think if you're coming in here now and now you're like, okay, now I'm going to short this market, you're probably going to get hit from that call. I don't think this is the market to come in here and start turning it around. The time to short was two weeks ago. The time to sell was when we got that CPI data point. I was selling the dip that day. I came on the show that day. I spent a half an hour just selling stocks because I thought the CPI could actually be okay, and it wasn't. I was selling a 409 SPY, 408 SPY, 407 SPY, 406 SPY, repeat the show. 405 spy. I've never been that bearish. And yeah. we've been straight down ever since. So that call saved me a lot of money. You know, I had take two, sold it. You know, I had fuel cell, sold it. You know, and these were swing trades. Some were longer term trades. I have no swing longs on right now, not a one. I have, uh, you know, 60% stocks or, you know, 58% stocks in the long term portfolio. A lot of those are legacy holdings, though. That's stuff that I'm not going to sell. So, you know, I'm never going to go to 100% cash. And, you know, and outside the RSP, like I said, I have some too, but I don't want to realize capital gains on those. So I've kind of sold what I can. So at this point in time, I'm probably riding out the majority of the rest of my stuff. But from a trading perspective, I came in short again here today. From a trading perspective, it's hard to just come in here and say, yeah, we're turning around and buying stocks. I'm going to make a lot of money here in the next month. You might, but tough tape, man. Now, we're also battling right now. I mean, the sterling plunging here coming in on last week's announcement that the new UK government that it would implement tax cut and investment incentives to boost growth. Sterling fell to an all-time low of 1.038 on Monday. Last time it was this low was 1984 when it was at 1.16. Seems like parity might be coming for sterling and also the euro hitting the lowest since the dollar 2002. It just seems like it's an upward battle out there in uh, Europe against the dollar, and the dollar just keeps going on up. Europe is an absolute mess. The UK, bring up that EWU, it is a mess. It's not, it, it, but it, you know, it's not just Europe, it's everything is a mess. Yeah. So it's the global recession coming. Like everybody is trying to raise rates. You know, obviously, you know, UK is maybe doing their own thing, but I mean, this is not just a North America problem. It's not just, you know, a supply chain issue here. This issue now is inflation has gone on for too long and all the monetary policy around the world is trying to beat it. And if you're fighting not just our Fed, but other Feds as well, it's hard. This is a tough market. So, and this leads us into other questions here. You know, what? how does the dust settle here? You know, I had a great question over the weekend I had a lot of questions over the weekend, but I want to focus on this one from Salman on Twitter. He was asking me, what happened after, you know, after the tech bubble burst in 2002? What happened after the crash? We know stocks, NASDAQ went from 5,000 to 1,100, was down 81%. The NASDAQ was down 80%. That's how much it went down, 80. Not just, you know, a stock went down 80. The NASDAQ went down 80%. I think it was 81% it was down at the lows. I think the S&Ps dropped not as much. I think it was in the 50s. Uh, but you know it was ugly. So what happened? Did stocks just bounce back? Did Amazon just go from five to five thousand all of a sudden? No, and I don't know how far you can go back on your charts, Mitch. But yeah, what happened after two thousand and two was a whole lot of nothing. You know what happened? 
Nobody talked about stocks. You know what happened? Stock market volumes plummeted. You know what happened? I was like starting to write for CFA Magazine. My first article is, why is it so quiet in the trading room? You know why it was so quiet in the trading room? Because everybody had lost all their money or they were tied up in bag holders. And it took a long, long, long time. I mean, we saw you know some stocks never come back. Cisco, CSCO never came back. Intel, INTC never came back. Never we got to those highs of 2000. Microsoft took 15 years to come back to get to those highs. Wow. But we kind of just hung out there forever. And Mitch, is look, you're looking at it right now. We just yeah. hung out and did nothing until we got, we started to show a little bit, you know, 2006, 2007 come up. And then we got into the financial crisis and they whacked stocks again. So really on the NASDAQ, we never even recovered for like 12 to 14 years back to those highs. So this could be the playbook. This might be the market. Don't expect this to be like an 18-month bear market where next year we're talking about new highs here again. I don't think the easy money is going to be there. So it might not be there for a while. So I'm not saying we're going to go into a 12-year, 14-year bear market here, but it's possible that we could be down on some of these stocks for a long, long time. So what probably happens is volatility starts to drop off. Stocks start to lose interest, you know, and, and you're already seeing it to a certain extent. If you ask non-traders about their crypto or about this, they don't talk about the stuff. They've moved on. You know, there's a lot of people, how much Portnoy talk about stocks now? You know, the, it's, it's moved on. The real traders will still be here. There'll still be trading opportunities. But volumes, retail volumes will fall off substantially. Volatility will drop. It will be very, very, very quiet. That's what is likely to happen a year or two from now. But we're still in the thick of it. There's still going to be wild swings, wild opportunities. We're in a repricing of risk. I think there's zero chance that we get back to all-time highs this year. I think there's zero chance we get back to all-time highs next year. I think it's going to take a while. Yeah, so I think you got to start asking. For a long-term bear market. I think you got to start asking yourself, will we, give, will we get back all the gains that we got out of the pandemic? Will it come back all the way? Because I think it's yeah. definitely in, I mean, you can't not question that now. I mean, the kind of the 2020 numbers are starting to hit. And at least from what I see on the queues, we had this little kind of price consolidation on the monthlies between August, uh, August 2020 and November 2020. And it looks like we're heading towards those lows on the queues. We break through those. What makes us not think that we just head back towards the 200? It could still be some more pain. And if we kind of measure the last time, of course, it's not the same uh, time, but the retracement from the kind of the dot-com era, that was about 70% down from the highs. Yeah. And we're about 35%. Could be halfway. I mean, I think that you can't leave it out of, out of the, the kind of the realm of possibilities. It, and I it think was that very similar. The, the, the run-up in two, 2020, 2021 was very similar. People didn't care about price. They were buying no matter what. You know, they were buying, you know, 100 times earnings, 100, you know, sometimes 25, 30 times sales. It was very, very eerily similar. So could the result and result be similar as well? I think so. You know, and, and people, are, you know, I'm not just saying I'm coming here and you got to be bearish and you got to, I mean, we're just putting out scenario analysis. You know, Laura keeps asking me in the chat, great question. Why don't I sell everything? Why don't I just sell everything? Well, because you know what? What if I'm wrong? One thing. Because if we go down, and if I've sold half my stocks, I'm not comfortable. 
But the reason I never sell everything is because if, you know, I'm wrong, we go up, then everybody's wealth is relatively taking off relative to you and you're stuck in cash. So you never want to sell, you know, from a long-term investing perspective, I don't think you ever want to be 100% cash because you can't always be right. The second thing is outside of my RSP, I don't sell some of these stocks because I don't want to realize these taxes. I mean, I have, you know, my average cost basis on QQQ because I've had it for like 17 years. That my average cost basis on QQQ is thirty nine dollars. If I, I go think this sell, is also if I go sell QQQ at two hundred and seventy five dollars, I'm going to realize myself thousand percent gainer and pay literally a good chunk of it out in tax. So if I thought the Nasdaq was going to fall back to one fifty, like the QQQs were going to go to one forty, I'd probably be better off to sell, realize that, and rebuy it. But if I don't, it's got to fall substantially for me to beat the tax guy. So you've got to consider that, you know, stocks inside your registered account, you don't have to pay the taxes on. But if it's outside, at least, you know, I'm talking from a Canadian perspective, it's the same in the U.S. I mean, <clears throat> but if you're looking, you know, from longer term stocks, I mean, Google, my average cost basis on Google is $27, I think. My average cost basis, you know, on the Apple, which I've actually hedged, which I never did, was only 25 bucks. So I'm actually going to eat that one probably um and i'm going to pay that tax bill on that one so showing you that i've got some fear there but you know certain stocks like it's a spy my average cost basis on spy is i don't remember what it is like a hundred bucks or something so i mean this is the market overall is the s&p going back to 220 or 200 i don't think it's going to get that ugly if it is then maybe i should sell today and try to rebuy but you got to try to beat that tax guy so there's lots of considerations would I be, you know, just coming in all in here right now on this market? Absolutely not. So that's why I'm saying caution is still the key here. I think if you don't have any stocks, if you were 100% cash through the fall, I think you can nibble here. But I'll tell you, nibbling has hurt. I think one of the things that you want to keep in mind is where your entry is, like you see Dennis talking about there, right? Because it completely uh, it matters there when you got in and your time horizon. I think if you got in somewhat, if you were a person that for some reason got in spy at, you know, 430 or 440, yeah, you're kicking yourself here, right? I mean, it's all about your average. Um, And if you got in there, yeah, I mean, why hold on now? But if you got in, you know, way back in time, like you're hearing Dennis talk about 17 years ago, it doesn't really make sense. So I think it's always relative to where your positioning is, it's not relative also just to every position. So if you're out there and you're struggling or you think that Dennis is being kind of bearish here, no, he's just kind of being realist right now. I mean, yeah. and I think that a lot of people are trying to point to bearish as being kind of pessimistic, but also have they, has the bears kind of saved you money or if you were kind of warning of this potential downturn? Yeah. I mean, you could have been saving yourself some money. By I've being been right. Cash. Yeah, I've been I mean, right. I'm going to call myself and pat myself on the back. Jeremy Newsom says that is okay. I've been absolutely right on this market this year. You know, I've been absolutely right to be bearish. I'm saying I'm not getting full off the bear train, but I'm not fully like I'm not coming in here and selling stocks today. I was selling stocks when I was talking about it on the show two weeks ago. You know, we were talking about it when it got to August. Remember when we got silly? And I'm like, I'm raising cash into this. I remember I said it. I'm like, at the, at the beginning of August, when we went from the S&P, when we went up, you know, for the ridiculous rally in June up to 430, I said, if you're buying stocks at 420 SPY, 
you are banking on all-time highs because you know we are over 50% higher on the retracement there. I'm like, I don't think that's happening. And I think, you know, eventually we're going to start to leak. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did. It happened three or four days after I started talking about that. But, you know, I've talked about that. I was four days early. You know, remember I said, I'm always early, but I'm in selling, selling stocks, selling stocks, selling stocks. I had Square. Remember, I took Square from 65 to 90, sold it, sold AMD, sold Disney, sold, you know, a whole pile of my stuff because I was concerned that we weren't out of the woods. Hey, look, we're not out of the woods. We're in the thick of it right now. We're in the thick of the woods. So just keep that in mind that a lot of people want to look at where a stock has come from and think it's going back there. We need to stop thinking about where they've come from and start thinking about where they're going. Because a lot of these stocks like Square that were $300 a share are never going back there. There's a high likelihood that Block will never, ever be a $300 stock again or maybe 25 years from now. The valuation was just too stupid. Stupid is getting punished in 2022. Dumb money is getting punished in 2022. You can sit back and wait, but the people in CSCO are still waiting. The people who bought Cisco at $80 in 2020 are now still sitting down 50% on their money 23 years later. You think about how much other good things he could have been doing with that money. So there's lots of opportunities out there, but valuation absolutely matters. Yeah, it's going to be tough to figure out what you're looking at. But like always, we need, I think, some kind of sideways action here. And I think that we're going to probably get that through the midterm. We'll see what happens. Let's keep going to some micro outlook now. Let's talk about Apple. Um, so Apple here is giving out some news that coming out with Monday that they will manufacture its latest iPhone 14 in India as tech giants moved some of its production away from China. Apple could make one uh, out of four iPhones in India by 2025, JPM analyst said in a note last week. So it looks like it's starting to make sense to slowly but surely move away from China as we're starting to continue the battles there. And again, I've talked Apple. I've had Apple in my long-term portfolio for 10 years. My average cost base is $25. I hedged my Apple. August, I was early. I was hedging at 155, 160. The thing went to 176. And I'm like, how? I think Apple, I think there's a possibility. And again, we're going into this earnings season. This thing's trading like 25, 26 times earnings. These are inflated earnings too. I just, you know, unless they're coming out with this, you know, flying car or they've got some type of new product that everybody's going to want. And they might because it's Apple. It's hard to just come in here and say it's cheap at 150. It's not cheap. The stock is expensive. With that being said, the relative strength has been incredible. The stock has held up one of the best, if not the best, it's held up. So that's impressive in itself. But I just, I'm nervous about it. I think eventually they could come for it. And I'm not buying it. <clears throat> I think, you know, you're going to continue to see more and more mentions of trying to pull manufacture from China. And I think this is a continued trend to look for. Um, will it cost, uh, you know, some money from these companies to move it? Yeah, it's probably going to cost some money. But in the long run, I think we're going to continue to see what more and more battle for semiconductor use in China versus the U.S. Which one's going to win? And I think that now you're starting to see the U.S. really try to battle back. You got the CHIPS Act. We got so many areas where we're just trying to start slowly taking away from what China has. Now the battle will be, will we get actually, you know, some 
some companies to turn and you're seeing it right there. Apple going to India. Those are the decisions that at least we want to see slowly pull away from, you know, always relying on China. I don't know. I was getting interrupted there too, Mitch. I'm uh, my wife is laying in bed because she pretty much has COVID here now. And both, Toast. Kids are, both kids are home here. Yeah, I was looking. <laughs> she was in here just looking. For, uh, she said, where's my toast? I told her at 9 o'clock I'd come help her a little bit more, but I had an hour there. So hopefully uh, the boy is just vegging out, so he's good. But uh, the girl is sometimes a little more needy. So, I'm, Mitch, I, I don't know what to say on, you know, on Apple here. I, I wanted to hold this stock in my long-term portfolio forever. But, you know, again, the valuation has just come. And people don't realize if they, you know, haven't if they just started trading the last year or two. Apple used to trade like ten to twelve times earnings. It was a cash cow. It was because of the iPhone, you know, it didn't get this growth multiple. I don't know when we decided that Apple was this huge growth stock and we started giving this 25, 26. But this recent run in Apple is almost all multiple expansion in a market that multiples are contracting in. Mm. So I just can't jump in here. And this is why I uh, you know, I held my Google long that I've had forever. I held, you know, my spy long, my QQQ long that I've held forever. You know, I held some other ones, you know, I have some other, you know, stocks that I've held forever long. I hedged my Apple because I'm just like, it's just gotten so rich. The valuation has gotten so rich. And I'm not sure when you get to that size that the growth is going to be there. So are they going to come out with a new product? Absolutely. Are they smart? Absolutely. Am I going to bet on them? At 10 to 12 times earnings? Absolutely. At 24 or 26 times earnings, going into a global recession, I'm taking my bet off. I've, had my, I've been betting on Apple for a decade, and it's uh, paid. I I'll think give it's you another one here. Um, and I wonder what you think about this one. If you're you know, kind of ringing the register on Apple, are you ringing the register on Amazon? Uh, Amazon an- announcing that they will host the, the Prime Early Access Sale October 11th and 12th, the second Prime Day. Um, and what do you think about Amazon now? Well, I sold my Amazon at 3400 We know that. And 3200 everybody said you're going to regret that sale. You know, Now mm-hmm. if you do split adjusted basis, it's 2200 So I don't regret that sale. I know I rebought half of the position in my wife's RSP um, back in June or July. I bought it at one... 10-ish, I think. And it went up to 140. Obviously, should have sold it because it's come full circle all the way back down here. So I still have a half-size position in Amazon. Eventually, I will move it to a full-size position, but I'm still pretty happy that I scalped, you know, 100 or, or 1,200 points off it from 3,400 down to whatever it was, 2,200 equivalent at 110. So I'm sticking with the half-size Amazon position. At least my wife is sticking with it when I'm running her RSP. Um, I think there's support down here, 100 to 110, but I will add to Amazon eventually, but I think these S&P lows are eventually going to get breached. I think we could go, I think S&P 330, like SPY 330 would be my next level here, the 3300 on the S&P. I think then I'm going to start to reevaluate again here, but right now I'm still just selling reps. I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, Amazon's coming back there. If we crack through the 101s, um, we're going to be back really close towards those kind of pre-pandemic time. Um, yeah, but we right don't back know those anything numbers. either. So, I mean, we're not, thing, we're not too far, at least we from can, We can take it back and we can go rah-rah bearish. And again, Laura, if I had a crystal ball and I knew for certain that the S&P was going to drop 20% farther from here, I would sell everything and be short everything and would be raking in cash. I don't know that. 
I don't know anything. I can just add it all up. But we've been hit pretty hard. So that's why, you know, to Craig Johnson's point last week, you know, everything's oversold. He's been wrong, but everything was oversold. Everything is still oversold. We could have a bounce. We could have a bounce. Is it going to be anything more than a bounce? Every time we try to bounce, we just get met with more sellers. Could we bounce up to 380 spy? Yeah. Could we bounce to 400? Unlikely, unless we're going to get some CPI and a Fed pivot. When the Fed pivots, pivot. when they get that couch, when they get that <laughs> couch up the stairs, I'm going to be long stocks. I'm going to be long yeah. stocks when that couch yeah. gets up the stairs. But until That's... I start to see that pivot happening to get them up the stairs, I can sit back and cash and collect 4.2, 4.3% right now and be a little bit more say, nicer sleeping at night. All right. Well, in just a few minutes, about a minute or two, we're going to get into our interview. I want to get out of Amazon and kind of just a quick recap here about what we're going to get into. And so you guys are going to see an interview here from Qualcomm's Automotive Day. This was their inaugural automotive as they really start diving into the digital chassis. This is going to be from the president and CEO of Qualcomm, Cristiano Amon. You don't want to miss this. Uh, this was with Chris Ketchy in person in the Classic Car Club at uh, New York City. And so a uh, great venue um, that they held for us. They invited us on over. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is moving forward. You don't want to miss this, guys. The Snapdragon is definitely trying to make big moves into the automotive industry. And there's one thing that I definitely learned throughout this whole process in this interview was that Man, it just looks like at least from B2B, Qualcomm is just kicking it out the water because at the end of the day, the amount of partnerships alone is just opening up a huge design pipeline that we're going to talk about right here. So I'm going to go ahead and play that interview for us. I'll put Dennis in the background right now, and then we're going to go into our interview. Let's dive into Qualcomm's Automotive Investors Day exclusive interview here to Benzinga from Chris Ketchy, none other than our one of our best writers. Let's go ahead and check out the interview. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming, I wish I'd used Indeed. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility all at Indeed.com P-R-E-P. Just go to Indeed.com P-R-E-P right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com P-R-E-P. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everyone. How are we doing today? Chris from Benzinga. I am joined by Cristiano Aman, the president and CEO of Qualcomm. We are here at the inaugural Qualcomm Automotive Investor Day. Cristiano, I want to start with the big news that was announced. Your pipeline now for automotive design wins is $30 billion. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about these great design wins and that pipeline? Absolutely. Great to be here talking to you. This is a great day for us. And I think what the pipeline is really reflecting what's happening to Qualcomm in automotive. Uh, We just had a pipeline about $19 billion just a quarter ago. And uh, it now grew to about 30 billion, uh, 10 billion just within the last two months. And it's more than twice what we had back in November. And uh, it just shows how fast uh, all of the automakers in the industry are embracing the Qualcomm digital chassis. And it's a great opportunity for Qualcomm. You also announced uh, Mercedes Benz as a partner. Uh, Can you talk about these design wins and working directly with these great automotive companies? This is one thing that is very different, and uh, it is a Qualcomm, uh, you know, size opportunity. Uh, Digital technology is becoming one of the most important decisions for the auto industry. Those are CEO-level decisions that are happening because the car is really becoming a connected computer on wheels. And uh, you look at companies like Mercedes-Benz and how they see the potential of a lot of things changing, especially when you redesign the digital cockpit of the car, the car is connected to the cloud. Um, and uh, how do they actually, through those uh, new technologies, will have now a direct interaction with their customer, will personalize the experience to the customer. And I think that's a great partnership. And the announcement with Mercedes is that we're collaborating with the Snapdragon digital chassis, and you're going to see the digital cockpit on Mercedes-Benz cars launching at the end of the year. That's awesome news. Uh, You know, this connected car market, you do have some competitors out there. How is Qualcomm able to get these design wins and also, in some cases, maybe steal deals away from the competition? You know, I actually love answering this question. Because uh, the transformation in the automotive industry is very significant. And you have a number of different trends driving the transformation. One of it is electrification, uh, a completely new architecture for the car. We come from the mobile space. So our DNA is high-performance computing, low power. We have the most performance per watt of of any other company in the semiconductor industry. And we can bring all of those technologies to the car, the connectivity to the cloud, how to power all the displays in the car from dashboard to infotainment to smart mirrors to heads-up display to uh, entertainment systems, plus doing all the computation required for artificial intelligence and assisted driving with a very efficient uh, power. And I think that's what's resonating well. And I cannot think of a better metric to show how we're succeeding in the space, which is the growth of our pipeline, which did, it does show that we're gaining share. So we hear a lot about connected cars. It's a growing market. Can you just talk a little bit about the digital chassis and also the overall size of the market for connected cars moving forward? 
Yes. Um, what is unique about the digital chassis is really what the name is. It's a digital platform for the car. And um, what set us apart from our peers is that we actually have capabilities across all domains, right? The, the connectivity, which connects the car to the cloud and make it a connected car. All of the processing, the power, the screens, and as I said before, all of the central computing functions in intelligence for assisted driving and autonomy, plus software that goes across all of those domains. That's what's unique about a digital chassis, and it comes at really at the right time, the cars are being redesigned, especially for electrification. And what is different in, in, in what makes the digital chassis so important is you will think about designing electronics in the car before. You design a car and then you will decide which components are going to go into the car. Now it's different. The car is a com connected computer on wheels, so you need the platform to scale up and down. And we're actually increasing the market size. This, the TAM now is 100 billion and uh, we're going to bring technology even to entry-level cars. So Qualcomm, you know, for years has been known for handsets and other devices. How does the auto industry play into this diversification strategy that Qualcomm has laid out for the future? It's, it's, uh, it's actually one of the great examples we have for diversification. The company is changing. We're really moving from being the communications company for the mobile industry to really be the connected computing company for the edge and the automotive is right inserted into that space as a great example of opportunities for Qualcomm. Now outside of the auto industry in the third quarter earnings you did announce a extended partnership with Samsung. I have to get your thoughts on this. Why is that deal so important and how does it help Qualcomm power more devices for a partner like that company? Yeah, that deal is ex extremely important. It's, uh, it was very material. That's one of the reasons we decided to announce during the earnings call. And it's important for two reasons. One reason, Chris, is it provides an incredible benchmark uh, for our licensing business. And uh, I cannot think of anything else that continues to prove what we said before, that the licensing business is very stable, one of the most stable, uh, you know, uh, 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 phases of since its history and renewing the agreement with Samsung all the way to 2030, including 6G, it's a great example of how stable this business is. But the exciting part is what you said. It's, it's Samsung choosing Qualcomm to power their Galaxy platform globally. And not only across the entire Galaxy family in all markets, but it's a multi-year agreement. And it, it speaks to uh, the validation of our strategy in mobile to really focus on, on uh, the, the share of wallet, the premium and high tier, focus on driving an innovation roadmap, and that uh, resonates well with Samsung. So outside of Samsung and some of these other publicly announced partners, you do work with other companies behind the scenes. How can investors get a sense of maybe some partners that haven't been publicly disclosed? See, one unique thing about our company, Qualcomm build ecosystems. And, and that's actually was part of uh, the presentation today on the Auto Investor Day. We build ecosystems. If you look at what we've done in mobile, we, we provide a truly open horizontal platform in mobile, working with everybody on the ecosystem, from operators to infrastructure vendors to all device manufacturers. 
and we're replicating that model right now for the automotive. A great example of that, we're virtually working with all automotive brands, including many of the new ones that are starting to appear, especially in China. Uh, last question here. Cristiano, you joined uh, Qualcomm you know, it's decades ago. You've been the CEO uh, for a little over a year. You've watched this company grow, though. What are your goals as the CEO of the company to power this company moving forward? Look, we have a clear strategy, and it's working. I think the fundamentals are all in place. If anything, I think today's event was a great example of that. And we're going to be the company powering the connected intelligent edge. We're going to build a future that everything is cloud-connected and intelligent, and that's the role of Qualcomm. And with that, we're going to see an expansion of addressable market by more than 7x to 700 billion within the next decade. And as I said before, the best of Qualcomm is yet to come. Awesome. Cristiano Aman, the president and CEO of Qualcomm, again, joining Benzinga here at the inaugural Qualcomm Automotive Investor Day. Cristiano, we thank you so much for your time and look forward to hearing more great things from Qualcomm in the future. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. All right, team, let's go ahead. Let's bring it back here. Let me bring on Dennis Dick back. And let's talk that Qualcomm. Was, that was <laughs> definitely an exclusive interview for you guys. A lot of the topics covered there on the partnerships weren't released until the investor day on Thursday. And Cristiano hasn't done a public interview since that day. So I wanted to give you guys an exclusive in look on that. You got a lot of comments on the brand new partnership. So if you guys didn't catch the Automotive Investor Day, you guys can definitely catch that link in the description below and check out more on Qualcomm. All right. So let's continue going. Yeah, into Qualcomm this. stock. So might as well talk the stock. Yeah, let's do it. Great support here. 118 to 120. If you're looking at buying something, I do own half of my Qualcomm still. I sold half of it. Um, it's off substantially from the high. It's a great company. I think you get this thing. If this thing really starts to get smacked down to like a $100 level, I think it's a buy. I still think Qualcomm's not a bad company even at this price. But again, we're going to global recession, so I'm not buying anything. But with that being said, you know, if you need to get into something, if you think the Fed's going to pivot sooner than later, this is a stock that's at some pretty decent support. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that I think is important also when I focused on the Qualcomm story is that there's been a long time. You guys have heard me talk about LiDAR. You guys have heard me talk about radar. You guys have heard me talk about the cameras that Tesla has, right? Well, Qualcomm uses all three of their technology in their automotive. And so if you want to take a look, dive into it, take a look at what Qualcomm has to offer. But they use all three sensors, which I thought was really interesting. All right, let's go back into the next headline. Let's talk about Las Vegas Sands. And it looks like uh, we're starting to get some of these uh, kind of finally getting a little bit of, of some movement here from the casino stocks. A lot of this coming after uh, Macau announced its plan to allow tour groups in mainland China as soon as November. So Las Vegas Sands getting some lift on that. It's, it's you, a nice uh, bounce. It's another opportunity to sell, though. Um, yeah, I think you get this. Tough. And Las Vegas Sands held up fairly well. I mean, you know, you look at charts. There's a lot of uglier yeah. ones than Las Vegas Sands, LVS. I mean, yeah, it's down from $80 back in 2018. But in the last little recent while, it's held up pretty well. It's coming into a lot of congestion here, 38 to 40. 
I just don't see this thing ripping, roaring back to new all-time highs again. You know, we don't know what the next thing coming out of Macau is going to be either. They get two cases of China. They start shutting stuff down again. I think it's an opportunity to sell. Both Las Vegas and some win. I'd, I'd be a seller, just my opinion. Yeah, you know, one thing is uh, we'll see if the casinos actually can get going again. Of course, the smallest little of spike could shut this down again. Well, that's right, the problem. If you want yeah. zero COVID and, you know, China's been on the zero COVID policy, good luck. I mean, we can take it right back to the COVID conversation. It's everywhere. I mean, there is no hiding from this thing now. I gave up hiding a year ago, and it actually took me a long time before I got it. But I've got it. It's not fun to get. But do I want to just, you know, not live anymore? Do I want to just, like, you know, sit back and hide in my home and go nowhere and not do anything and not see people and not go to restaurants, not go to a movie, not go anywhere? I mean, that's the choice. So there's, it's, it's, it's out there. It's everywhere. I mean, there's no hiding from this anymore. China's still trying to hide from this, unbelievably. And I, I don't get it. But with that being said, like, they're gonna have, they're, there's going to be another spike up in cases in China. Inevitably to happen again, too. And they'll shut her down again. And then supply chains will get screwed up. So it's tough to invest in China when there's so much, you know, and other, and then the political concerns there. Just, I just don't think I want to, you know, jump in Las Vegas Sands and win here. All right. Let's go towards a downgrade here coming in for uh, UBS giving lift. Uh, to neutral, lowering the price target to $16. As you're seeing Lyft now down towards $13.50. It just seems like this company can't catch a break. No, no, nothing can. No, there hasn't been any breaks. And, you know, if you're looking at something, $12 support on Lyft here, that's huge. July low, $12, $13.50. Does it look like it's going there? Yeah, it does. Is it going to bounce there the first time? It might. So there's some tradable opportunities. And we can be in a bear market. And there's still going to be tradable bounces here. So don't just think because you're in a bear market, you can't you have to trade everything from the short side. There'll be opportunities here. As we come into support, and we probably will, I mean, Lyft was $20 three weeks ago. It's going to go down to $12. Stocks are oversold. Stocks are oversold. So that's the bull scenario. And that was Craig Johnson's scenario. Is that we're just oversold and we're eventually going to bounce. Everybody is so bearish. There is a point to that. There's a point to that. So maybe you do want to look at stocks that are coming in these major support levels, like a, you know Qualcomm, we just gave that level of support. But Lyft, 12 bucks, it's huge. Is there value there at $12? There might be because the stock could grow into its valuation. This is one that could turn profitable eventually. Uber is going to be profitable next year. So I can see an argument to buy Lyft and Uber at a certain price. So $12, not a bad price. But again, every time it seems like you buy something, support gets breached and you regret it three weeks later so it's been a tough market all right let's go to planet fitness here um as they're getting an upgrade here from raymond james upgrading planet fitness so plnt uh there we go raymond uh raymond james upgrading planet fitness to strong buy from market perform the wall street firm said the company has resilient recession resistant business with no interest rate risk and very little near-term debt uh, maturity as you're seeing planet fitness get a little bit of a bounce here um and i mean is it really recession proof it's so been so hammered i mean again and this is the point you know to you know what craig johnson is making and there is a point there i'm going to keep saying it stocks like this stock was 70 dollars. it just went to 54 in one two three four five six sessions yeah. these are hammerings man that's like capitulatory move 
So could that low be safe at 54.15? Maybe. The stock, I don't think Planet Fitness is going out of business anytime soon. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I think people are still in the health phase. So I don't mind the upgrade here. It's at least a contrarian call. Again, stock charts are just ugly, though. So many, they're just ugly. All right, let's keep going. We'll go towards P, uh, PCG. Um, and so we could take a look there at PCG. Uh, this is going to be replacing Citrix systems in the S&P 500 effective uh, prior to the opening of trading on Monday, October 3rd. Um, it's getting a little bit of lift on that. Uh, you guys can see it on up there. Uh, are you interested in any of these kind of the re- S&P 500? Well, and they're, they're usually selling opportunities. So usually when they get put in the S&P, they go in, they get a good 3 4% lift. They're almost always selling opportunities, at least in this market. So again, more selling opportunities. Utilities are starting to roll over. It's been ugly here. And, you know, we were talking, you know, oil, gas plays here. They've been hit here too. I mean, Enbridge in Canada has been getting whacked here, really hard here. Utility play. These are these are recession, you know, companies that you know people still gotta you know pay their hydro bill, pay their gas bill. But with that being said, a lot of stocks just there's no mercy here right now. There's a lot of stuffs just getting hit left, right, center. So PCG, you know, gets a pop here, and you can look at PCGU or you can look at PCG, whatever you want to look at. But you know, I still look at PCG and twelve dollars and. And looking at it, you know, because this is a liquid one here, twelve dollars. It's up thirteen. It's up three point six percent. I think you sell it. All right, let's talk about what you would be looking at if you're looking into this market as an investor. Is there anything that you'd be checking out, Dennis? Um, yeah, I think that's a good question. We should ask each other both of those questions here. So, now what stocks would I be buying? Um, I sold my take two TTWO. Okay. I sold my take two. Um, just six, seven days ago, 127 on the bad CPI data. When I was hitting everything, I was like, I'm getting out of that too. It just fell to 107. Like, look at this fall from 120, 130 to 107, really, really quickly. Uh, take two's got that the low of the move was 101. So I think you get back down to 101 on TTWO. I think still take two is going to be a big part of the metaverse eventually. Gamers, people like their video games. I think there's an opportunity there. So I like that stock. I own Oxy. I'm in too early, but I think there's an opportunity um, with Oxy just because of the Buffett issue. I think he's going to be buying more from 55 to 57. So I think you're coming into good support here on Oxy. Again, I was way too soon at 65. Punished for it. Still have it. Punished for it deservingly. Um, 54 to 55. I think there's good support there. Look at your charts. Look at where some stocks are. Some are coming into some good support. Yeah, I, I was punished in the competition account for uh, I had it at sixty four fifty, got out there at sixty four, but I mean now at fifty eight, I'm wondering, you know, fifty seven seems to be that sweet spot for Warren. We'll see if he comes fishing again. Um, let's keep going. Let's take a look at what I would maybe take a look at long term. I mean, it's just tough right now. I mean, because even Tesla, I mean, Tesla made a hard pullback there uh, towards the two sixties. And so I'd be looking to see if Tesla could come back down below the 250s, coming back towards some of those June lows. Um, that'd be kind of an area that I would be taking at least a longer term shot. Just because I think at the end of the day, Tesla does have some catalysts that will come into play next year. But you have to have a long enough outlook, right? You need the semi to come out. You need the truck to come out. Maybe that's what brings Tesla back to the all-time highs next year. 
And so if I had to think about one stock for next year, what could be possibly back at all-time highs, I, I wouldn't say it would be bad shot to maybe call Tesla back up there. The valuation has never mattered with this thing. Elon Musk, people want to bet with Elon Musk. It's held up better. If you would have you know, said you know, at the beginning of the year that we're going to go in this awful bear market and Tesla was going to be one of the best performing stocks in the S&P, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But Tesla's held up unbelievable. Stock has been unbelievably resilient. I so you know, obviously I wish you know the valuation was reasonable. I would have been in this thing, but you know I haven't been. I've missed it, but it's been unbelievable. But I'm not going to be one of those going to call. Oh yeah, Tesla's eventually going back down to 50 bucks. You know the valuation doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense. They got better margins, you know, than everybody else. They don't market. They got Elon Musk behind them. So the story is still intact. There's going to be more Tesla showing up on the road. People are a believer in this guy. I'm a believer in this guy. I just wish one day it would come to a reasonable valuation. I'd load up. Yeah, I see Netflix mentioned in the chat. I know that a lot of people were watching this as it was coming back. Do you think this is a kind of more of a selling moment here or to get into that gap zone above? It's come valuation reasonable here too. You know, and streaming's not going away. Netflix is still going to be a major player here. So I'm long Netflix. So... I mean, there's, there's, you know, still, you know, even though I talk bearish, there's still a lot of stocks I'm long. So Netflix has been there too. So it's held up pretty well. I don't know if I'm coming and building a position here now. You know, I was buying, obviously I bought early and then I rebought very well at like 180. Um, I, I think there's the opportunity that Netflix has, you know, continue, obviously its valuation isn't extreme anymore here. Is the growth there? I think they can find different ways here. So I'm not betting against them. Now, um, where do I start dipping my toes in on a company where are you like going, AMD? I mean, I want AMD, but the question is what price, right? I mean, yeah. I want the stock. The question is what, what price do I want it at? I mean, it's I've always a... wanted to have it. It's just more about the matter of where do you get it at? And are I you think if it on you're, a downturn? Mitch, I think if you're nibbling to AMD now, I think, yeah. I think, if, I think probably in five to ten years, you're probably going to be pretty happy that you did that. It's a matter of, you know, is it going to be in five to 10 days and things can be at 50? I'd be like, what am I doing? Maybe. It's a tough market right now. Yeah. I think AMD has come down substantially. I have a small, small position in AMD. We know I sold three quarters of the position back at 100, which I would have sold the whole thing. I want to have a little taster still in it. I'm going to eventually rebuild this position. Um, even NVIDIA, I'm eventually going to get back into NVIDIA as well. Um, but AMD... It's just such not, nothing's that support. There's nothing. There's no level. There's like it's making new lows on the move. So from a technical basis, it's hard to like come in here and say, oh yeah, this is the turnaround point. There's no reason technically to jump in here and be a hero. But you know, as it come to a reasonable valuation, we got to fifty. I think so. I don't think. I think we're gonna need chips in the future. I don't think they're going away. Yeah, I think, I think uh, at 50 is an interesting level for me to start looking at maybe some cost averaging. And I think that's how you got to approach it here. I think so too. Maybe cost average and maybe not, you know, I've seen a lot of people put like a lot of positions all in at once, using a little bit of time to let the market play out a little bit here, I think will be a good uh, attempt. So maybe I'm first getting in slightly above 50s, working my way to 45 and 40. And eventually I can end up somewhere in the 45 range. Doesn't seem too bad there for AMD for me. 
like always, you guys make your own investment decisions, but I think that these are moments that we have to really uh, consider which ones we think are high quality for the long run, and those are the ones that we want to be looking at. I think so, too. I think you can be nibbling. I think if you're 100% cash, you should be nibbling. Um, you know, and I started with a pretty good bearish rant here. You know, just it's, it depends on your own investment scenario. I mean, if you're in a, your time horizon's two, three weeks here, I mean, it's tough to just say this is the bottom and, you know, you're going to be okay. Um, if you've got a 10-year time horizon here and you're sitting with, you know, 100% cash, I think you're finding good companies at reasonable valuations. There's, there's some opportunities out there. I think we just gave you three or four. You can continue to go down the list. I mean, you've got a 10-year time horizon. There's some stocks here that are probably going to be a lot higher 10 years from now. But I don't think this whole market has to turn around and go back to all-time highs next year. That's what I was trying to say. Because people are of the belief that a bad bear market lasts 18 months. So if I hold on for the next 18 months, I'm going to get all my money back. That doesn't have to happen. We're in a completely different environment here right now. Ask Japan if it worked there. You know, They made their highs in 1995. Here we are almost 30 years later, and it's Nikkei's half of what it was. So it doesn't have to happen. You don't have to get your money back. But, you know... There are some opportunities going to be here, and some of these stocks have come to valuations that are reasonable. All right. Now, of course, I'll be watching for when we get the next uh, PCE report. That's going to be something to keep on watch. Uh, I think that'll be something that, of course, uh, the Fed will be watching. You'll keep your eyes on that. And let's go ahead and we're going to wrap on up a second early here on pre-market prep. Um, what are you thinking today? Are you, going to, are you going to be in a little bit in the buy the dip mentality or kind of still just thinking that we're still in um, kind of sell-off moment? Yeah, I think a little bit of buy the dip mentality just from a trading perspective here. I think we're yeah. going to see some chops. So, you know, I kind of think what's going to happen, we, we, we came, we tested major support, the June lows on Friday. Dow broke it, but nobody cares about the Dow. The S&P held. SPY held its lows. So that's the good news. And I think we could have, you know, a little bit of bouncing around here for a bit. I think eventually we take those lows out and go lower. But I think you could see like a couple of weeks, maybe we just chop around here a little bit. You know, like kind of remember the Titanic analogy. I've used this before. You know, you had the Titanic, you know, it's sinking, sinking, taking on water. And then, you know, right before, you know, it's like bobbing up and down. Then the ship splits in half and then she goes down. But she sat there and she bobbed up and down, you know, quite a bit there before she went down. So I think you're going to enter this bob up and down phase of the market from 360 to 380, where we're kind of just bobbing around. No real direction. Bulls versus bears. There's some very big bulls out there right now still saying stocks are oversold and we're going back to all-time highs next year. So those people are buying stocks here right now. You're, if you're bearish, you're fighting those people. So I think eventually the Fed's going to win here. I think eventually, you know, we're going to take out those lows. I think there's just enough problems that, you know, I'm still longer term betting a little bit lower here yet. But I think we're going to have a lot of chop here. So selling reps, buying dips, you know, and playing the chop. Chop is good for day trading. Yeah, I think I'll be also in that same mentality and kind of more along looking for, I won't be looking for the continuation move. I'll be looking for kind of range moves back up to resistance and probably smacked right back down to support and just calling out more of the chop action. 
All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll see you tomorrow, Dennis. And like always, okay, catch thanks, us tomorrow. Match. I'll have Joel Elkanen back tomorrow. He just took a day off, of course, the Jewish holiday. So give him some best wishes. And I do want to go ahead and clearly state that interview that you guys saw earlier today with Qualcomm was an exclusive and was 100% not paid uh, advertising. That I wanted to get you guys the exclusive from the automotive uh, investor day. So if you guys didn't catch that, definitely rewind and check out that interview. Those were exclusive comments from the CEO and president of Qualcomm um, and pretty big company. So I appreciated them taking the time with us. Chris Ketchy, shout out to you for doing that interview. Like always, uh, one of our best writers and going to continue getting uh, access to some of these top companies and getting us some great interviews Let's go now over to live trading action. I hope that you guys enjoyed today. We talked about what was going on in oil, sterling, the euro. We also mentioned news coming out of Apple, Amazon, Las Vegas Sands, a couple of upgrades and downgrades. And we'll see what happens in today's action as it was tough markets last week. Let's see if we can start off Monday in a positive sense and get into the green. We'll see what happens. Hit the like on your way out. We'll be